despite that beautiful poem leading us to Christ being alive, I want to go back to Mark 16 for a moment and remember that the women at the tomb, surprisingly perhaps for us as we've been celebrating and building to this moment, that they were afraid, Mark says. Last words of Mark's gospel, this honest assessment of these women's experience. And they went out and fled from the tomb and trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They were afraid. They headed out to the tomb on the first day of the week to pay their respects to a dead man. The man that they had loved, the man that they had supported, that they had served, that they had hoped in. This man was dead, verifiably dead, as we heard earlier. And they went to assuage their grief by fulfilling their human duties to pay their respects to this one who was dead. But then arriving at the tomb, we heard the story. They found the stone removed that they knew they didn't have the power to remove. And they heard the news of Jesus' resurrection on the lips of an angel. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angel declares for the first time in the earth the resurrection of the man Jesus, the dead man, this man in whom these women had placed their hopes, the man who had been crucified a few days earlier on a Roman cross. This was the man that they were now declaring he was alive. He was not in fact dead. And this wasn't just merely a spiritual hope transcribed into some kind of physical key. This is the Christian fact, all capitals, of resurrection. The miracle of the new creation at the center of the story that we have been telling tonight. Death was incapable, we say, of holding its prey. Jesus, the vanquished one, was really, as the resurrection declares to all of us, was Jesus the victorious one. Now, admittedly, these few women on this Easter morning, the first ever Easter morning, weren't processing all of this in their initial moment of discovery where their hopes and griefs catechismically collided. And so we read they were afraid. This fear, this fear of these women, their fear, is a fear that arises from a realization of some pretty big things for them. And maybe for us, and maybe for you. It's a fear that arises when you realize that the world that you've always seen and the the world that you've always experienced it as is not the world, is not all that there is. It's a fear that arises when you realize that the universe in which you live and move and have your being is permeated by another world, a kind of otherworldly power. It's a fear that arises when you realize that the end, which you thought was the end, is not the end. It's a fear at the great intrusion that is the resurrection and at the realization that we are not alone. As relative newlyweds, my wife and I took one of our first trips to uh, Yellowstone. We lived in Colorado. We got in the car, the same forerunner I still drive, (laughs) much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, And we took off up to Wyoming and we got into Yellowstone and then the first night we drove north out of the park out to Gardner, Montana, on the north end of Yellowstone Park, and we stayed at a pretty remote campground in our tent. Now, around this campground, there were all kinds of signs warning you, of course, about bears. Bears, you know, tie up your food, hang your food, put your food back in your car. Uh, the, The word on the street, although there was no one else around, was bears. And so that night, as we lay in the tent, trying our best to get our sleep, we wanted to be alone. 
But every time we heard a ruffle or rustle in the bushes, which was most likely probably just the wind, we were deeply afraid. Maybe we weren't really alone. Maybe there was a big furry intruder just outside the door of the tent that we were too afraid to open and look about to swipe us with her paws. It was the possible presence of an intrusion that led to fear, to the unknown, and to the unpredictable. The resurrection is like that big furry intruder into our cozy and predictable world. And it's not a localized intruder at some remote campground in Montana or outside Jerusalem at some rich man's tomb. It's a universal intrusion. If Jesus rose from the dead, if the tomb was empty, if he is in fact risen as Christians all around the world this night declare and celebrate together, then that matters for all people everywhere of all time. There's more going on in our world than just the blind march of history or the rise and fall of nations or the advance of scientific knowledge or the sickness and suffering and pain that permeates so much of our lives. We're not alone, the resurrection says, and this is not the end. Our world hasn't been invaded. And yes, this, like the women on that first Easter morning, this should make us afraid. Maybe that's it for you tonight. Just to reckon with the fact that the resurrection says there's something else in the room. Someone else in the room. But this fear, this fear of the women is the fear to end all fears. It's the fear that crushes the source of all other fears in our lives. The invading power of the resurrection didn't come into our world to maim us, but rather to rescue us from the the powers that maim us day in and day out in our daily life. The powers of evil, the powers of sin, and the powers of death. These powers are at work in our universe to distort and to diminish our humanity. And we know it. We know it deeply. We don't have to be told this. We live it every day. They grab us and they shake us. We're disturbed by the headlines affected when we're thousands of miles away by virtue of our common humanity with the Kenyans right now, most recently. But we're more disturbed in many ways by the poignant losses that are far more personal. Our parents, our children, our friends, our spouses. Against this maiming of humanity, of our humanity, we protest almost incessantly as a human race. There's a a moving glimpse of this protest And the subsequent anger, despair, and cynicism that such protests, when repeated after being repeated, start to produce in us. In Wallace Stegner's final novel from 1987, Crossing to Safety, the narrator of the novel, a man named Larry, watches his wife Charity descend quickly toward death by cancer. And here is his protest. The vision of her floundering in the wake of the concentrated helpers and their feeble charge turned my distress into outrage. Outrage at it, at fate, at the miserable failure of the law of nature to conform to the dream of man, at what living had done to the woman my life was fused with, what her life had been and was, what she had missed, how much had been kept from her, how little her potential had been realized, how hampered were her affection and her willingness and warmth. The sight of her burned my eyes. Such an experience leads Larry to the observation, good fortune, contentment, peace, 
happiness have never been able to deceive me for long. I expected the worst, and I was right. So much for the dream of man. Death makes us afraid, and we live in a very real sense under its cloud. So much for the dream of man. But the resurrection on this night that we celebrate, the resurrection says this cannot be the last word. It's a glimmer of light. More than that, it's an overwhelming burst of sunshine into the midst of this darkness in which we live. My first job out of college was a whitewater rafting guide and backpacking guide in Colorado. And I don't say that to make any of you envy. It was hard work at times. Um, On a second year guide training trip on the Arkansas River in the Royal Gorge, which is beautiful, thousand foot chasm, on the Arkansas River. I was acting at trip leader at the moment on the river and a guide went overboard, a fellow second year guide who was in training. We hauled him into the raft and he appeared to be unconscious. And he must have had really thick skin because we couldn't find a pulse. And I started to panic because I was in charge. And for some reason, the instructors were just sitting there letting me be in charge. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, he just sat up. His name was Chris Lord. He sat up. And at the sign of life in that raft for that moment, the mounting panic and overwhelming fear that I was experiencing immediately dissipated. He was okay. It turns out I would find out later that his subsequent unconsciousness after falling out of the boat had been planned for my benefit and training. But it took me a while to see the humor of the situation and I fell fully for it. But that sign of life in that raft is like the resurrection for all of us. It's a sign of life that bursts in, and not just the sign of life, but it's the power of life breaking into the world of death, overcoming death. It's like this. It's as if our protests that get strung together over time are joined by the Creator in one definitive protest. Not a protest at all, in fact, an act of conquest. On this night, the source of our fears is defeated in an ultimate sense. And it's not this, and this is really important. I'm coming to the end. It's not that the clouds are not real. I pastor most of you. I spend time talking with you. I hear about the clouds. I live a lot of those ways, times, in the clouds. From tendencies to self-harm, to the death of loved ones to diagnosis that nobody else knows about, to frustrations with being single, to frustrations with being married, to financial troubles, to relational brokenness, to disappointment with your careers, to hopes that never seem to materialize. I know that these worlds for you are real and that these clouds are not figments of your imagination, but they're real and they're hard and they're at times deeply consuming and they impact every single one of us in this room. And here's the deal. They may not lift tomorrow or tonight or next week or next month or next year or in five years or even in your lifetime. Where did Jesus' road of obedience to the Father lead him? To the cross of Good Friday. And he calls us to follow him there. 
And yet the cross is not the end. And that's why we're here tonight. Because what we believe and what we celebrate and what we declare this conquest over death that we're celebrating tonight says that those clouds will lift. As surely as the seven feet of snow under which this city was buried in February has now yielded to the spring. So these clouds that you live your life in one day will lift and there will be flowers of a new springtime that blossom in your life and in mine. That is the assurance of the resurrection. Here's what this all enables for us. It enables a real kind of joy. We sang about it. We are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us. It enables a real kind of joy in any and every circumstance. It's not a superficial, dismissive, ignorant joy. The clouds are real. And painful. The pain and the tears and the suffering of Jesus are not a mirage. They're real. The blood is real. The suffering is real. It's not a power of positive thinking kind of joy. This isn't something that originates, thanks be to God, in our minds. But the joy that you can have in the midst of the clouds that you're living in right now. Because of what we celebrate tonight. Because of the fact that Jesus conquered death in the grave is a joy that arises from reality and from the hope and the truth of resurrection breaking into our world in this Easter moment. And it's this resurrection reality literally pulsating through your veins that now exists as a kind of defiant joy, a stubborn joy, A victorious joy and a fearless joy. Life has conquered death. The fear of the women that morning is the fear to end all fears. I don't ask you to do things much, but I want you to stand with me. We're going to sing some celebratory songs in just a moment. But here's what I want you to do first. I want you to think right now, maybe close your eyes if you want to, you don't have to. I want you to think of that darkest cloud that rests upon your life. Or several of the dark clouds that seem to be clouding your view. For some of you in this room, it will be obvious. For for others of you, it may be a little bit more difficult to think of. But think of it for just a moment. Identify it. Acknowledge it. Because in the face of this thing... What we declare together tonight means something. It means, and I don't know whether you're experiencing this right now. My prayer is that you will. But it means that whatever that thing is, however dark it is, however consuming it is, however it doesn't seem to let go of you, 
It means that in the midst of staring that in the face, because of what we will proclaim in just a moment, not that it's necessarily taken away, at least not yet, but it means that you can have a defiant, stubborn, victorious, and fearless joy in the face of that thing. Because the great intrusion of life invades even this moment. Even this circumstance. In a way that matters and makes a difference. Your part is the Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. One more time with that in your face. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Alleluia.